Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Thank you, Pastor Evan. Thank you, Grant, holding it down. Oh. Welcome to church. Welcome to church. And uh, it's a day of, it's a day of first. It's a day of reverence. It's a day of restoration. It's a day where post-Easter, post-resurrection, post this on our way to Pentecost Sunday right now, we are, we're experiencing just revival in people. And it's amazing. And we're blessed by it. And uh, if you're feeling like this morning may have been a bit of a difference, hey, this morning, the Lord is in this place. He's moving into hearts and minds and souls of people. He is restoring them to a place that he has promised to them long ago. And so this morning, can you just make it up for the one true King Jesus? Come on, give it up for him. Oh. Ain't no party like a praise party, amen? Ain't no high like the most high, amen? How many of these can I keep going? Shut up, Matt. Will do. All right, this morning, well... What an awesome, what an awesome couple weeks it's been in church. Uh, three weeks ago, we got to celebrate our team at something called the Takeovers, where all of our serve crew, we, we dress up, and we get fancy, and we hand out trophies and silly names, uh, award names. And, uh, you know, I got like the John Wick Award or something, and I was like, I'll take it. The spiritual John Wick Award. That's, that's really good. Um, my favorite, though, was definitely... Pastor Scott's tearjerker award because whenever Pastor Scott is up here, the man starts crying, I start crying, we all start crying, and we're just not recovering. Um, so it's good. And then we had Good Friday service. Come on. And then we had Easter Sunday resurrection. Let's go. And we had 11 baptisms. Come on. Come on. Whole reason I didn't put in a praise report was because we had 11 baptisms, and uh, I want to be the one to say it because the Lord is moving in his church. He is moving in this hour, and right now the Holy Spirit is not going to allow the bride of Christ to lay down for the world and for culture and for sin and for the opinion of man, but every lofty opinion of God. How many of you know when it's raised up against him, he knocks it back down, baby? And that is what he's doing in this hour by raising up a fiery filled bride. Amen? So this morning we are back to the prophetic word that we are stewarding over our church called fire upon the earth. And right now we are just coming out of uh, the whole year is based around Luke 12, 49. That Jesus, he lays out his whole game plan. And so many people live oblivious to this, but Jesus, he, he put it right there. He's like, my strongest desire, my chief command, the whole reason I'm coming is to cast fire upon the earth. And then goes on to talk about the baptism of fire, talking about his bride of fire, his bride filled with the Holy Spirit. This is his chief end in the earth is to make for himself a bride, but not just any bride, a bride on fire. Amen. So we're going to continue on week 15. So if you've got your notepads, get those out, get ready to abuse them. We are a note-taking church, so go after it if you can keep up with me, potentially. If not, just go back and rewatch the podcast. That's, that works too. But this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is Ear, no, Fire Upon the Ear. Fire Upon the Ear. Fire Upon the Ear. 
I'm going to read the book of Revelations again. We're going to read Revelation 2, so get ready. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty out in the foyer. You can grab one of those. If not, it's going to be up in the Sky Bible behind me. And can you guys give it up? We got what? Got Kelsey and Phil holding it down in the back for us? Come on, guys. Come on. Man, the Lord is moving amongst the lampstands this morning. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Take me by the hand. Help me preach your word, God. All right, Revelation 1, or 2, 1, here we go. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstands from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans and which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. To the angel in the church in Samirna, write these words words, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into a prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Paragon write, The words of him who have the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful servant, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have... You have some there who have hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a name written on it, a stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. We're going to end there, and uh, maybe we'll crack the rest of that open next week or the week after, but um, we'll get to it at some point. But I'm going to pray, and we're going to ask the Lord to illuminate this and have it come alive to us this morning. Sound good? Yeah. Y'all love Jesus? Yeah. Then let's get it. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, 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 I ask right now you would take me by the hand. You would help me preach your word that right now, Lord, you would prepare hearts. You would prepare minds. You would prepare hair. You would prepare souls. You would prepare us as a people, God. The bride in the Midwest right now, God, we join together with the bride in Grand Rapids, God, across doctrinal lines, across denominational lines, all of these silly things, Lord. I call the church to unite around Christ and Christ crucified this morning, God. We draw in with them, brothers and sisters in arms, 
and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. This morning, God, I ask that you would equip your bride all across the Midwest, God, that revival would come to our land, God, whether it's through Grand Rapids and Takeover Church or it's through Holland or Toledo or wherever you desire, God, we just desire you to pour out again. Lord, we ask, we ask that you would come to this barren land, God, and you would pour out the rain of the Spirit. So, Father, right now I ask, Lord, that you would illuminate Revelations 2 to us. Make it come alive, God. We want to have fire upon our ears this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Every other spirit, go to hell from which you came. We cast you out. We cast you down. We do not tolerate you in this room. There is one king, his name is Jesus, and he is ruling in our midst in this moment. In Jesus' mighty name of faith-filled church, full of fire set. Amen. Amen. Come on. Oh, man, that might have been some of the best, best time in worship. Just the Lord was, he was here. He was here and he is moving and he is still amongst us this morning. Fire upon the ear, fire upon the ear, fire upon the ear. You see, as I was praying throughout this week and I was spending time with the Lord and I was asking him, Lord, where, where do we go next? I know you gave me the word. You want to see a bride on fire. You preach the last lessons of Jesus and that includes the book of Revelation. And so we've been making our way through that and breaking it down and getting all of the meat we possibly can, at least to the extent of which I have revelation of the book of Revelation, which is great. But one of the things that the Lord was really laying on my heart was Man, you will never possess fire upon the earth if you don't first have fire upon your ears. You will never possess fire upon the earth if you do not first have fire upon the ear. And see, the book of Revelation is, it's amazing. See, the early church, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but briefly, the, the early church, this was their framework. This is what framed their entire lives. When John got this out to these churches that Jesus directed him to, they lived in view of the returning king. You see, today in America, we... I'd say we love the book of Revelation. A lot of the church probably doesn't and they don't listen to it and they just kind of go, we're going to avoid that one because we don't really understand dragons and stuff, which is clearly Satan, but you just don't want to do any homework. It's fine. Um, And uh, it's true. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. But then a lot of them, we preach it and we call it the revelation of the end times. We talk about it like it's this doom and gloom and the world is going to hell in a handbasket and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to sweep up his damsel in the stress of a bride and he is going to rescue her unto eternity and it's at the end. But friends, that's not the book of Revelation. First of all, you are his inheritance from the Father. The bride is God's inheritance to his son. The reason the Holy Spirit comes to convict us in spirit and truth is why? To form us into a worthy inheritance, a radiant bride for his son. There is nothing impotent. There is nothing weak. There is nothing small about you. You have the spirit of God on the inside of you. Amen? Come on. Same spirit that rose Christ from the grave now lives in you, the Bible says. That is your identity. That is the church. That is who we are. No damsels, only conquerors. No damsels, only conquerors. Second, it is not the revelation of the end times. If you view the book of Revelation as a revelation of the end, you will miss the power that it holds. The book of Revelation literally is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus telling the church, telling his bride about himself. 
And we have got to have that lens. We have got to have that revelation. We've got to have that understanding. And on top of that understanding, we have got to begin to read the book of Revelation through the author it was given to. Because it's going to be really important today that you and I, we understand and we're on the same page that there's a reason this was given to John. There's a reason that John was entrusted with the revelation of Jesus. There is a reason that this moment happened to John while he was in banishment upon a prison island called Patmos. Well, what was it about John? Was it because he was super good looking? No. The dude literally just got boiled in oil. Was it because he got boiled in oil and refused to die? In part, but I think that actually has a greater root in this whole thing. What was it about John that Jesus chose? You know what? This is my disciple in whom I love. I am going to give him and trust him the revelation, the revelation of me to give to my bride. And I got to tell you, as impressed as I am by a man who was boiled in oil in, in, 80, in front of 80,000 people in the Roman Colosseum and he refused to die. What I am more impressed with is not his grit, it is his fire. Because you see John, John burned to such a temperature in the Holy Spirit that it didn't matter the temperature of the oil that John found himself in because the temperature of the oil found within John was hotter than the oil he was placed in. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. The anointing, the oil, the Holy Spirit, the ability of God to move in him freely and through him at will was unmatched. And that all comes out of a place of John being known as John the Beloved. John the Beloved. You see, you beloved what you behold and what John beheld was Jesus. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You beloved what you behold and what John, more than anything, comfort, provision, wife, material, he beheld Jesus so much so that he was willing to be boiled in oil if it came to that. But by the grace of God, the spirit of God at work and alive in him, the word and the history of the world records. Atheist authors in the world record. John refused to die as a man possessed by God. So much so he was banished to an island called Padmos. And see, we've got to get a little bit of John in us. Yeah. You know, I love Peter because Peter allows me to be stupid and then I get to come back, right? And I love Paul, which means I get to be kind of stiff and people have to listen to me because, well, Paul was mean, you know, like all the, obviously this is broad strokes and I'm just kind of joking here. But John the Beloved, there's something about him about his beholding of Jesus, how he saw Jesus that placed him. If Peter is the revelation of which the church will be built upon, John and how he loved Jesus was the rock in which the revelation of Jesus could be given to his church. There's something about John. And so I pray today that we would all get this conviction that I wanna be looked at from Jesus as my, my beloved. Angie, the beloved, Christina, the beloved, Johan, the beloved, Reed, the beloved. There's gotta be something in here. You see, friends, 
one of the things that I'm grieved by because it's kind of made its way back into the church culture right now is this stupid moronic phrase that is the silliest thing the devil ever convinced the church to repeat. And it is, don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Have you heard this heresy? Have you heard this heresy? Are you kidding me? Don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. This is the biggest piece of dumpster fire the church has ever believed from the mouth of Satan. Stupid. Friends, I'm telling you, the world is sick and the world desperately needs Jesus. What the world doesn't need is your best earthly wisdom, doesn't need your best self-help, doesn't need your best advice, doesn't need your Enneagram number, doesn't need all of these broken earthly lenses that we often choose to throw rhetoric and platitudes at people in hope of giving them a Band-Aid. The world doesn't need a Band-Aid, the world needs a power from another age. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? The world doesn't need a band-aid. It needs power from the throne room of God. And friends, I got to tell you, the only way we are going to get power from the throne room is if we become throne room dwellers. Do I have any throne room dwellers in the house? Is there anybody who's going to be committed to being before the Lord and praying and interceding, standing in the gap, standing in tension, standing in the tension of the earth, even if it leads you to oil? Will you stand? Will you refuse to die? Will you preach the gospel? And will you be his beloved? The only way we will be conduits of throne room powers is if we first become throne room dwellers. We will only be conduits of throne room power if we first become throne room dwellers. Can you take me higher, Lord? Can you take me higher? Can you take me deeper? Can you take me further? Can you take me greater? Take me there, God. Right now, we, we live in a time and place where the church, we, we have an intense worship culture. And I love it. There's, there's not a greater potentially ministry on the earth right now than the worship movement we're seeing in the earth. And it's amazing, and I love it. The problem is when we get into language like altar living and worship life, and I will live upon the altar and all of these things, if we're not careful, these sacred words that mean something to God, when you tell him, I will live on the altar, he believes you because it is the most for real and serious place that he can dwell among you, burn upon you, and use you as his altar called to be a living sacrifice. God, I will be a living sacrifice. He will take you up on that cry, on that conviction, and he will use you. But often, what we really mean is I will live upon the altar and I will Instagram every bit of it. And I'm gonna have my latte here, I'm gonna have my Bible here, my self-help book here, and the right light and the right angle because we live in a time and place where picks or it didn't happen. And instead of living unto the glory of God, we're living unto the clicks, the likes, the follows, and the glory of man. I appreciate anybody this morning. So many of us, we live like this. So many of us, can I tell you something I'm absolutely burdened for right now? I am burdened, thanks Grant, I am burdened. I am burdened with this clothing 
fashion culture that we find in the church today. We've got young men who dress up to go to church to impress a young woman. We have young women who dress up to come to a church to impress young men. We have preachers who dress a certain way to impress the church. And we have church who dresses a certain way to impress the preacher. And I'm sitting here going, does anybody care what Jesus thinks about them? Does anybody care what Jesus thinks about you? Friends, I am not concerned with what you think of me. I don't get nervous before I preach anymore because I've already spent time in that upper room praying before the one who knows me more intimately than even my wife. He brings me the greatest joy and the greatest fear all at the same time, something of which you cannot intimidate me with. Amen? So we don't live for the applause. We live for the anointed one. We don't live for the applause. We live for the anointed one. But this is kind of this, the style of worship. We say we want to live on the altar, but what we really mean is we want a husband with a beard and a lumberjack check shirt. We want a wife with a flat brim hat and the denim jacket. We want kids that look like they just came off the Target magazine. We want a home with a white picket fence that has a Bible verse above it. And we call that living lives of worship. We want the fog machines in church. We want the LED boards. We want the camera angles. We want the perfect building in the perfect place at the perfect time with the perfect transitions. And we call this worship. Friends, worship is never horizontal. Worship is always vertical. Worship is never horizontal. Worship is always vertical. Somebody say, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. It's high tide that the time for the church to rise, but rise with her eyes on heaven. Get her, heaven, get her head back in the clouds again. Amen? Amen? Friends, this world needs you to be heavenly minded so you can actually be earthly good. I appreciate anybody this morning. He needs you. What the world is looking for and what the returning king is looking for is that you would be so heavenly minded, you would actually do some earthly good. But all of these other things that I just named, they are really great servants, but they are terrible masters. They are really great servants, but they are terrible masters. I tell you this, I will not worship a marketing campaign. I will not worship a flat brim hat and a lumberjack check shirt. I will not worship Instagram clicks and likes. I will not worship what my church thinks about me. And I call you not to worship what my uh, superficial opinion of what you're wearing is. We worship one king. We have one Lord. It's not each other. His name is Jesus. And he deserves our attention, our affection, our attachment, all of it. Amen. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. Christ and Christ crucified. It's who he is. We have got to behold him like John the beloved beheld him. Don't worship me. Don't worship each other. We come. We gather. We worship him.
emphatically. What a silly thing, isn't it? Don't be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. How silly. We are going to raise up a burning bride in this hour that will be undeniable. No, we're going to raise up a bride in this hour that will be undesirable to the world, but undeniable to heaven. We're going to raise up a burning bride that will be undesirable to the world, but undeniable to heaven. That's what we do here. And so Jesus, oh, sweet Jesus. Does anybody else just love Jesus? Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you, God. We love you, God. See, Jesus, he he starts this part off and he's like, John, to the church in Ephesus, which for you and me is modern day Turkey, just a little bit of context. Modern day Turkey, buck wild place at the time. All sorts of stuff was going wrong. Paul led the church there, passed it off to Timothy. Things be cray. Don't worry about it. Look it up later. Things were insane. But the church in Ephesus has always been kind of like this favorited church kind of this favorited church like the book of Ephes- uh, the book of Ephesians Paul talks about how like awesome it's like the least rebuked church that he writes to and even in this moment we'll get to it in a second it is one of the ones that is doing mostly right okay so it's interesting how Jesus starts this off but Jesus he tells John he goes here I am I am the one who holds the seven stars and I move between the lampstands like we talked about two weeks ago And so what does that mean? Going back to Exodus 27, where Jesus is being one of the high priests that we see in the Old Testament, and he is moving between the lampstands, and he's what? He's checking the oil. He's checking its purity. He's checking its robust. He's checking to make sure the priests are staying up day and night, night and day, to make sure it burns continuously. This is what Jesus does. He trims the wick. He keeps it pure, and he ensures that it is burning continuously. Friends, Jesus is not in any way, shape, or form interested in a season of burning. He's not interested in a moment in your 20s where you were burning. He's not interested in a spark. He is not interested in an ember. He is interested in a burning bride that burns continuously. Amen? Amen. So much so that he is talking very seriously. And through what we just read, there's a couple moments where he specifically points out I am going to move between the lampstands. And when this Jesus comes between the lampstands, he means business. But that's not to scare you. That's to show you that holiness, purity, a robust oil, and one that burns continuously, how you steward your life matters to him. Because Jesus is interested in getting every ounce of blood, of blood worth that he paid for you on the cross. There's no cheap grace. It was the highest price. There's no cheap grace. It was the highest price. And so he talks about this and then he goes to the church in Ephesus, write this. And he's like, I love it. I love how you're long-suffering. You're doing mostly right, he says. You're long-suffering. You're, you're staying with it. You're testing every apostle that comes your way. And, and mostly you're finding faults because they're preaching a false doctrine. But you are remaining steadfast and you are storing up for my namesake. 
which sounds awesome, right? He's like, you are crushing it. You are doing mostly right. Could you imagine Jesus meeting you and then saying to you, Grant, you're doing mostly right. I think on one part, you'd probably be really encouraged. But I think once you got sober again from the compliment from Jesus, you would realize that's not a compliment. That's not a compliment for the king of the universe to sit down to you and say you're doing mostly right means that there is a way and there is a path and he has made it available to you for you to do it completely right and we've still missed the mark because Jesus, he follows it up with this. Hear me today, church. He follows it up with this for I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. For I have this against you, you've abandoned your first love. So I have this against you, you have abandoned your first love. You see, it's funny because on Sundays, we love to highlight you're going to stand before God and it should be the desire of every church to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What we don't include in that rah-rah moment, which I love the rah-rah, you know about that rah-rah, is that that's not the only thing he will speak to his church that some people will say, you did a lot of th- I did a lot of things for you in your name, and he'll go depart from me, I never knew you. For some people, you will stand before him and he will go, listen, I have this against you. And then for the few, the remnant, the burning bride, the true, died in red. Well done, good and faithful servants. I couldn't imagine there's a meme going around there right now. It's like, if Paul could see the church in America, they'd be getting a letter. True. True, 100%. We would definitely get a letter. Takeovers would be the nicest. <laughs> Takeovers would be the nicest. But more than Paul, and I respect Paul, and I believe the canon of the Bible, it's infallible. God did this. It's amazing. It's the whole thing. It's undefeated. But more than a letter from Paul, what I fear is standing before God and him saying to me, You got it mostly right, but this I have against you. But this I have against you. And friends, what he has against them is they've abandoned their first love. Do you know what that tells me? You can be doing mostly everything right and be doing it 100% wrong. You can be doing absolutely everything on paper right. Looks good on Instagram. Every seat is filled. Everyone leaves happy. Great Easter photos were taken. Service was a tight hour and 15 minutes long. It was great. Everyone got Applebee's. Everyone's happy. Ears are tickled. Cotton candy Christianity was given out. And we're coming back with a toothache, but a little bit of heartache next week. It's going to be real good, guys. You can do everything appearing to be right. But you can do it absolutely 100% wrong. And that happens when you and I, we abandon our first love. See, what's interesting about this phrase is that today, I think we kind of let people off really easy. Oh, I just kind of fell out of sync. Oh, I just kind of fell out of love. I fell out of love with the church. I fell out of love with Takeover. I fell out of love with Pastor Matt. I fell out of love with community. I just kind of fell. You got the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. You don't fall from anything. You either give in to sin or you grow in holiness. 
You either give in to sin or you grow into holiness. This is what we do. There are no other options. You are called to worship and steward your life as worship. And you don't just fall out of love with Jesus. That's impossible. You abandon your love for Jesus. Well, I just kind of fell out of love. Tell me how you fell out of love. Well, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. Have you been married? Have you talked to married people? How about parents? In what universe were you ever guaranteed to have 100% love as a feeling 100% of the time? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This is what's wrong with the world. And so suddenly we want to chastise a world for being led by their feelings. Are you ready for this? Sorry, not. But we want to glorify and we want to put an okay asterisk next to our sin because of our feelings. I want to chastise you, the world, for being led by your feelings, but I want to get the okay because I'm being led by mine. Turn to the blood, brother. Bro, you are stepping out from underneath that umbrella right now. Like, get back in the blood, you'll realize, no. <laughs> but this is reality. This is what it looks like to be in the world right now. And Jesus, he uses every single thing. Guys, Jesus never said anything whimsical. He was fun. He complimented, he laughed, he had a good time. He was fully man while being fully God, but he understood everything he speaks, every word that departs from the mouth of God has universe creating power and authority inside of it, amen? amen. And so when he spoke, it wasn't by happenstance or accident, he meant every word. And so he doesn't give anybody license to just go, huh, well, I stumbled and fell and, you know, there was my girlfriend. Next thing you know, she's pregnant and we're living together. And you know what? I just haven't been back to church. You abandoned your first love. You abandoned your first love. Well, no, I just kind of fell out of it. No, you didn't steward the flame. You quit giving him things to burn. You quit giving him love, giving him affection, putting more logs on the fire. You quit putting your gifts on the table. You quit laying down your life. You rejected to be burned. Instead, you wanted to feel. Even if it was just for a moment. Jesus goes, I have this against you. You're doing everything mostly right, but 100% wrong. Because what makes it 100% wrong is you can do everything on paper absolutely right, but you can do everything on paper absolutely right without Jesus. And if you do everything on paper, 100% absolutely right, but you do everything on paper absolutely right without Jesus, it is on paper 100% absolutely wrong. Because <laughs> he's our first love. He gives purpose to everything that we do. He renews us. He lifts our heads. He seats us above in heavenly places. He tells us to seek the things in the throne room where he is seated. Guys, he has given more purpose to your life than any of us, myself included, have even scratched the surface on. And yet, we're over here abandoning our first love. Jesus has a place in our lives that's first. There's a through line throughout service. Have you noticed it? The Lord's writing it. Not us. None of us talked. But he's writing it. Yeah. 
He is authoring a story this morning. He is sowing something together in this room, in our lives, in this moment. I grieve right now for the people who aren't actually here this morning because the Lord is meeting us. He's coming close. He's giving us his hand. And he is saying, look, look at my penmanship upon your life. Look at my authorship upon your life. Look what I am attempting to write. Would you just let me have the pen? Let me be your first love and let me write you a story that I can be well pleased of. The church used to live to give God a good offering that he was pleased with. But somewhere along the way, we decided to give one another a good offering that we hoped you'd be pleased with so you'd keep coming back and you'd keep tithing and we'd keep the lights on. And somewhere along the way, we lost our first love because we laid it down in place of you and each other. And Jesus is going, it looks good, but it's not church. Friends, there are many things that we could do to fill this room on a Sunday. Many things, so many things. Marketing campaigns, throw irresponsible money at stuff. Are you freaking kidding me? I would rather pay people to go and do the work of ministry than spend one more dollar on anything. You hearing me? How much rubbish is that? How much rubbish is that? Oh, I got 615 clicks for $15. That's great. That's 15 bucks somebody could have used to take somebody out for lunch who's hurting. What profited more? There's so many things that I could do to fill this room with people every single Sunday. Giveaways, dunk tanks, I could eat a cockroach, all of the things that we've seen done. I'll do that for fun. Don't even worry about it. I'm I'm wild cat, okay? Wild cat. But listen, there's so many things, but there are there's so many things that we can do to fill this room with people, but there are few things that we can do to fill this room with him, and that's what I'm committed to. Yes, come on. I appreciate anybody this morning. Amen. That is what we are committed to. Jesus will remain, take over church's first love, and if you call take over church home, it is our chief end that Jesus remains your first love. Not me, not sweet church merch, Not a cool warehouse that is in desperate need of an air conditioning unit. Love offering time. That was a great laugh. But you would remain with Jesus in the first place of love. Well, Pastor Matt, what do I do? What do I do if I've lost that? What do I do? Well, luckily enough, Jesus is a better pastor than I am. And he writes to John, or says to John next, write this down. If you've fallen out of love, you need to repent You need to repent. If you have abandoned love, if you have misplaced love, if you have taken love off of Jesus and in first place you have put services, if in first place you have put a boy, if in first place you have put a man, if in first place you have put a woman, if in first place you have put finances, if in first place you have put the career path you want to be on, climb the corporate ladder, if there's something upon the throne of your heart that it is not Jesus, There is one, and that one does not share his throne with anyone. First love. So he says, you got to repent. You got to recuse. You got to strike that thing down, and you got to tell it. You need to look in the mirror, and you need to say, you know what? Jesus, I love you more than Adrienne. 
Jesus, I love you more than financial stability. Jesus, I love you more than this career path I'm on. God, if you say lay it down, I will lay it down at a moment's notice and I will be found at the altar. God, where do you want me? Because that's where I want to be found. And then he says, you got to do the things that you did at first when you first loved God. You see, so many Christians today, we have allowed the world to seep into the church and we think that forward progression is the goal of the destination we're on and speed is which the way we get there. Let me say that again. I kind of got myself confused. We think that forward is the chief goal and we think forward fast is the way to go. Problem with that is you can arrive at the wrong destination quickly. Destination doesn't matter near as much. Speed matters far less because friends, destination and arrival are not unto you because destination and arrival is not a place in time. It is not a job. It is not a promotion. It is a king upon the throne. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is our destination. The rest of this is vapor. The rest of this is a fragrant offering. The rest of this is oil upon his feet that we get to pour out. I get to pour out my career path. I get to pour out my marriage. I get to pour out my longing. I get to pour it out at the feet of Jesus. So when Jesus says, do the things you did that you first fell in love with Jesus, if Jesus is the destination, then friends, if you feel like your love is beginning to teeter, just begin to retrace your steps. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the beginning. You see, we live in a world right now that's preaching, deconstruct, deconstruct, bring down the patriarchy, white guys, man. Shut up! I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Oh. No. We stand in the gap and we contend for faith. And what Jesus is saying is if you've abandoned your first love, go back and retrace your steps. Go back to those landmark moments where they were holy land, where you stood in awe of God for the first time. Go back to those worship songs that when you first met him, they blew your mind because you'd never heard of a love, a wonder, something awestruck and amazing and magnificent like this Jesus. Go back to those Bible verses, that old Bible that's fallen apart, that you haven't looked in in 20 years, that you haven't just written down and scribbled into pieces, but there are verses in there that first lit your soul on fire. Go back to those. Retread those landmark moments of your faith. This is what Jesus says to do. Come, fall in love with me again. You know what's amazing is in church life, we see far more moves of God and miracles of God in two places. And one that there's a lot more of that we don't rarely see, it's this. One, the people who first meet Jesus, set free, set anew, new creation, they experience a lot of miracles. They experience a lot of, word of, uh, a lot of movements of God in their life. Why? because they got that childlike faith. They actually believed the word of God. They met him. They saw the, the scars in his hands and upon his feet and they ran into the man from Calvary and he rescued them. And they go, I believe this man. And then the second group of people we see the most amount of miracles in, 
are the prodigals who have returned home, who go in for that fresh drink, that fresh taste, and all of a sudden they're humbled and they're brought back and they are just coming back to their father and they say, here I am, God, will you take me back in? I don't even have to be a son, I'll be a servant. And God goes, pish posh, you ignorant man. I'm your dad, you're my son, I'm your dad, you're my daughter, this I have for you. Get him a ring and a robe and fresh sandals for his feet. This is mine. And those, those that get a fresh drink of first love from heaven, we see a lot of miracles there. You know where we don't see a whole lot of miracles, a whole lot of movements, a whole lot of breakthrough? Those that are on a firm, stagnant, kind of hot, kind of cold, wishy-washy, unsure about this, tossed by the waves of the sea. And you can be walking with Jesus for a short amount of time and arrive there, and you can be walking with Jesus for a long amount of time and get there. But it's people who are doing things to actively abandon their first love because they're not stewarding their first love. That's where we see a lack of miracles because, believe you me, God is looking for people he can burn upon to whom much is given, much is required. You have not because you ask not. And a lot of Christians just live aimlessly without asking. And he's like, my fire's fresh. Retrace your steps, I say. Retread those old landmark holy moments where the Lord met you and he changed your life. Call those people. Make amends. Repent where you have to. Turn your life back to your first love. And then Jesus, then Jesus says, to he that has an ear, let him hear. To he that has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit is saying. To he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Now, we're going to get to the next part of this a little bit, but, but we're going to kind of rush those ones because there's, this is where I really want to dial in this morning. It's interesting that Jesus says this to John the Beloved. Like I said, John the Beloved is the lens that we have got to see the book of Revelation for. And I'm going to make that make all the sense in the world to you right now. This is why. Because Jesus, for the first time ever recorded, he says the same phrase that we've heard so many times throughout the Gospels, but he says it differently. In this moment, to John the Beloved, to the church at large, both present, future, and past, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. But if you were to read the Gospels... Jesus, time and time again, when he first started his ministry, first broke onto the scene, first came, he was saying, casting a wide net, saying, if there's any ripe ears, if anyone is ready to hear what the Lord is ready to say, to recorrect all the Pharisees, to come and die and open the floodgates of heaven, to make that narrow gate become possible for those that are painted in red and redeemed, for Jesus said, those that have ears, let them hear. For those who have ears, let them hear. He begins his ministry in the early church by saying ears, plural. But to the end times church, you and me, he says, those that have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. Well, Pastor Matt, why the distinction? 
Well, because ears is plural, it's many. Ear is singular, it's few. Pastor Matt, what's the distinction? Intimacy. Intimacy. You see, when Jesus first started his ministry, he was offering it up. If there is ripe ears, come, hear what the Lord is saying. But then the end time church is known as his bride, but she's known as a remnant. She is small. There's not many, but she is powerful and her defining factor outside of her fire is her intimacy with Jesus. You wanna know how I know that? Because John the beloved is the lens by which we view this through and John the beloved is the disciple who had his head on the chest of Jesus. He had an ear he had an ear, he had an ear that was in tune to the heartbeat of heaven. He had an ear that was in tune to the throne room of heaven. John the beloved, reclining against Jesus, found with his head upon the chest of Jesus, he had an ear to hear the heartbeat of heaven. He had an ear and he gave his life to make a bride upon the earth that would have an ear that would be permanently positioned upon the throne room of heaven's doors. Ears, plural, many. Ear, singular, few. It's intimacy. It's intimacy. You see, you don't, you don't blare out secrets for all to hear. You whisper into a single ear. You don't just make loud the mysteries of the universe for all to hear. You speak softly into the single ear. You don't just birth revelation for everyone, intimate or not, to hear. You come close. You live with your ear to the heart of the king. And he gives you revelation. You see, this, this is why I believe John has been entrusted with the revelation because John remained intimate. Intimacy always begets revelation. Intimacy always calls in secrecy. Intimacy always births mysteries. Intimacy is where God can trust his bride. Are you telling me that God is raising up an inheritance in the earth who will not be intimate with Jesus? What marriage is void of intimacy that can actually be defined as marriage? 
I don't know if this is blowing your mind as much as it blew mine, but I'm sitting here going, Jesus, I've, I've got to live right there. I've got to live reclined. I've got to live reclined. I've got to keep my ear to heaven. I've got to keep my ear to your heart. And then what happens, we're going to speed through this, not because I care about time. I worship a Christ, not a clock, but because there's a lot of scripture. What happens next is he names two more churches, but we see the same phrase played out every time. But to these other churches, he has a bunch of things against them. To one church, he's like, listen, I see that you're fighting tooth and nail. I see that you're trying to do it, but Satan's coming and he's coming for you. And a bunch of you, he's gonna put you in prison and you need to be faithful unto death for you will receive a conqueror's reward. Are you hearing me this morning? Can I tell you that God calls his bride to be faithful unto death? We live in a time and place where the bride is almost entirely incapable of being faithful with sunshine in Michigan. <laughs> Let alone death. Inconveniences. And I'm not just talking about church attendance. I'm talking about the intimacy. Intimacy. God isn't checking your selfies from church for intimacy. He's checking your thought life. Preaching anybody this morning. God isn't checking your photos from your family picture day for intimacy. He's hearing the thoughts in your mind. God isn't hearing your songs you sing in church and determining the level of intimacy he has with you. He's looking at the song your life sings to him and determining the level of intimacy he has with you. And so he says to the same church, be faithful unto death for you will receive a conqueror's reward. Friends, there is a conqueror's reward to those that stay the course, keep first love, and arrive in here. Well done, good and faithful servant. Everybody wants to scream and shout, conquerors! Until, until faithfulness is required in death. And then Jesus, he pulls the greatest switch up and he goes, the second death won't even harm the conqueror because you arrive in perfect paradise, eat from the tree of God. That is your conqueror's reward. And then he gets to the next one and this is where I want to land the bird today. He says, he says, but you guys, oh, you guys suck. He's like, I know where you dwell. You dwell with Satan. You dwell on Satan's throne. You ain't like John at all. You don't have your ear upon the chest of Jesus. No, you have your ear upon the chest of Satan. You hang out in den of thieves with serpents. That's where you hang out. And this is what he's saying to this church. And he's going, 
You have caused Jews to stumble in sexual immorality. You've called them to eat meat upon uh, false gods and idols. You have teached Balaam and Balak and all of these things against me. And then like Jesus speaks to what would probably be few, not a great score of people, but a few, he goes, but to you that have an ear, let him hear what the spirit of God is saying. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then fire comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the spirit. We wanna raise up people of great faith and we wanna raise up Holy Spirit heavyweights. That is what we do here. And he says to even this church whose remnant has got to be small. He that has an ear, let him hear and hear what the spirit of God is saying. Worship team, you can make your way. Because check this out. After he goes through all of that, he lays out all that he has against them, all that's going wrong in this place. He says to them, not just a conqueror's reward, not just a paradise, not just a tree of God, but he says, but you, you will receive hidden manna you will receive hidden manna. You see, the interesting thing is that, again, John's a good Jewish boy raised in synagogue. He knows his Torah. He knows what his people went through. And he knows that God, to the Jews, to the Israelites, escaping Egypt for 40 years, he provided supernatural manna, provision, power, sustenance. He brought that to them. But there was a caveat the caveat being the asterisk next to it was God had a rule. God always has order. He always has a rule. He always has a way in which his blessings will grow and flow in and through your life. But it's got to be his way. And so he tells the Israelites in the desert, he goes, listen, I will provide manna for you every day. But don't you dare store up manna for yourself for tomorrow, for I am faithful. And so for a couple of weeks, that probably went real good. For a couple of weeks, they were like, yeah, every single time. But then, of course, like humans, they began to doubt God. Maybe, maybe the weather was hot. Maybe some rain came. Maybe there were some animals that were eating up what was falling to the ground. Whatever it was, there was some sort of life circumstance that took place. And they decided to act upon their feelings instead of live out their faith, and they began to store up manna that God provided one day and thought they would save it for the next few days just in case the faithful one decided to go back on his word for the first time ever. And what happened was maggots came, bread got stale, everything became putrid and rancid, and God told them, I told you to trust me. You've taken righteous manna and turned it into unrighteous manna, and that cannot stand. Would you guys stand? Friends, would you kill the lights for me? You see, what happened here is, what happened here is absolutely a miracle because Jesus, he says to this church, he goes, to you few who have an ear, 
who are intimate with me, who are close to me, who have remained in spite of the darkness going around you, in spite of the church falling into the world around you, in spite of all the pastors losing it, people having all these different affairs and all the stuff that we're seeing today, in spite of how Satan has occupied the church, the church has occupied the throne of Satan, you, you that have an ear of intimacy, hear what the Spirit is saying. I will give you hidden manna. You see, before when God gave out manna, manna that was seen expired, but manna that is hidden lives forever. See, manna that was seen before, manna that is hidden never expires. Manna that was seen has an expiration date. Hidden manna is eternal because it is your reward. To the intimate, to the intimate, to a fault, to the intimate, to the end, to the intimate, to his return. He has a hidden manna for you. What that is for each individual, I do not know. But what I do know is that it doesn't expire, that it's powerful, that it's sustaining, that it's long-lasting, that it doesn't expire, that you are someone he can trust with hidden manna because you, when you should have left and when you could have left and the world told you you got to leave, you remain with your ear on the chest of heaven's beloved. There is hidden manna available to the church in this hour. There is a fire available to the church in this hour. There is a power available to the church in this hour. And he is ready. He is ready to rend the heavens and pour out such a revival, such a miracle, such a wave of blessing upon his people that he is undeniable to an undesiring world. But friends, let me tell you, if Takeover Church is ever going to possess the hidden manna of heaven, the individual Christians that make up Takeover Church need to live lives committed to possessing the hidden manna of heaven. And that comes one way, that comes one way, not with ears that hear a lot, not with ears that listen to any wisdom, not with ears that are open to any loud talking, fast talking preacher. But those with an ear to the one, to their first love, those that have fought and contended to remain in love with Jesus, those that have returned, that will now take up the mantle of fighting and contending and laying logs of their life upon the altar. Friends, can I tell you, Sin is not a worthy sacrifice. Christians innately, we lay down our sin to follow Jesus. That's not what he comes and burns upon. That's not what keeps the oil and the lamp going. The logs that he's interested in burning upon, the oil in which he wishes to possess, it's your thoughts being towards him. It's your life being laid down for him. It's your finances being poured out for his will. It's your heart. People want to talk about how it's sin is sacrifice to be laid down. No, that's called obedience. It's laying down your dreams, 
and allowing him to burn them up and create something new. It's your yes. It's your no. It's your dreams of marriage. It's your dreams of children. It's where you live, what you do, the church you'll be a part of, where you go, where you don't go. These are logs. It's your giftings that you lay down. God, I'm an artist here. How can I serve with it? How do I give you glory? See, friends. Sin will remain an issue for you. The Lord is on this. Sin will remain an issue for you if you continue to believe the lie that is the only thing he asks you to lay down. That's first. Because when he begins to burn upon the things that you desire to keep to yourself, shh. When he begins to burn upon the marriage that you didn't want to welcome him into repair, when he begins to burn upon your kids, when your kids begin to have prophetic dreams or prophetic songs, when children are helping us lead worship, this, this is where we're going. This is a bride that will burn, that will get the attention of heaven. Come Lord, if you're coming, come here. Come now. Amen. This is the hidden manna that I believe we are called to possess, an eternal manna, unseen but never expiring, a, a sustenance, a provision, a power that only comes from Jesus being our first love. So we're gonna get ready to sing. And I wanna welcome you. I wanna welcome you to the altar. I wanna welcome you to the carpet. I wanna welcome you right where you are, however you are, in the condition in which you came. And right now, I wanna welcome you as we begin to sing, to begin to make Jesus your first love again, to begin to return to him, to begin to open your Bible and go back to that verse. This verse lit me up. This verse changed my life. This was what got me when I was 15. Go back to those moments right now as we sing. Just begin to ignite yourself what was it about Jesus that turned your head? What was it about Jesus that turned your heart? What was it about Jesus that turned your life from the grave to the throne room? What was it about Jesus that made you first fall in love with him? So come to the altar, lay down where you are, grab a friend and pray, whatever you need to do. But let's seek to have ear that can hear what the Spirit of God is saying, amen? I'm gonna pray, kill the lights, and we're gonna welcome you to the altar. Father God, I thank you so much for this moment. God, I ask right now, I ask right now, burn upon us, God, burn upon us, God. Would you find a bride, God, would you find a bride that is possessed with a love for you that's unwavering, that we wouldn't be satisfied 
We don't want discount Jesus. We don't want a knockoff king. Lord, we're not looking for a cheap throne of grace. We are looking for the throne of heaven, God, that is ruling and reigning and will be returning. We want to see the one with fire in his eyes, with hair as white as wool, with feet that are bronze like burnished because of a fire, God. We want to see this Jesus. And we want to fall in love. We want to fall in love all over again. We want our eyes, we want the eyes of our hearts open again, as Paul said, God. We want to know you. We want to see your glory. We want to fall in love, God. We want to experience the overwhelming grace that took us to our knees. We want to understand your presence, God, that took our breath away. God, we want to relent and relent to you and you alone today. Come be our first love, God. Just as you feel led, make your way to the altar. Don't wait for me. Don't wait for worship. Just come. The Lord is moving. The Lord is tugging on hearts. The Lord is saying, if you got a spouse in here and you have had a rift between you, begin to welcome the Lord in. Grab your spouse and come to the altar. Come. This is the moment. There's a rebirth happening in the room of first love Christianity. Where we come first. To Jesus where he comes first in our lives where he begins to burn upon us in such a way that every other lover becomes less than desirable to us he's our one he's our true he's our king he saved our souls from the pits of hell he gave us our self-worth back because it's not about ourself, it's about what He purchased in us. Our identities are being rescued and resuscitated. There's a revival flowing in the chambers of the hearts of the people in this room. And it's when Jesus knocks down the walls of the chambers of our hearts and he comes in like a flood and he fills every valve in our heart, every portion of our mind, every part and broken piece of our soul. And he comes and he says, I'm enough. In fact, I'm the first. I'm the last. I am coming and I will remain and I am king above it all. This is not a book about the end. It's about the return. It's not about the end it's about the king it's about the one who's ruling and reigning and I am first and when I'm first everything else comes into alignment I will not share my throne he says I will not share my throne so let me come take my rightful first place fall back in love with me again. Begin to ask me questions. Lord, what did you mean by? Lord, what do you think of me? God, what do you have for my life? Young or old, he is still writing stories. He is still authoring a book with your life. And he is saying this first love This first love is not the first draft of your life. It's the finished draft. It's what we're turning into my Father so you can be my inheritance. Come, let the first love of Jesus flow in you. Isn't he beautiful? And isn't he magnificent?
Isn't he captivating? Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Come, church, let's spend time looking upon the worthy one. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.